0: in a series on uh, spiritual warfare in the armor of God. So here we go. Who's ready? Um, well, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys stand for the reading of the word, but let's do it. How about that? Uh, here we go. Uh, this is um, the epistle to the, uh, to the Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul, chapter 6, starting in the 10th Verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for the Lord's people, for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And this, friends, is the word of the Lord. You can uh, be seated. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, learned a new and complex skill like uh, driving a car. Does anyone remember driver's ed? Anyone remember all the dials and uh, buttons and things? How do I keep it straight? Um, I remember learning to water ski. Has anyone ever been water skiing? Um, yeah, it was, um, i had seen it happen many times in the back of the boat, but when I was about maybe 10 years old, it was, uh, somebody said, hey, Greg, you wanna go water skiing? And I said, no, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, but no, so. Anyway, I ended up in the water, um, and um, I was really grateful that uh, my neighbor, Rebecca, was in the back of the boat. Um, And she sang a little song to me from the back of the boat. Here's what she said, and I want you to remember this. Lean back, bend your knees, keep the rope between your skis. Lean back, (laughs) bend your knees. And the reason I was grateful is because I wasn't ready for the force of the boat pulling me. You know, I wasn't ready for the wall of water that shot over my head. I wasn't ready to hold my breath for several seconds. I didn't know what, you know, I, what was happening. It was, a, it was a massive force on the body. But because I had these tips in the back of my mind, I, I focused on them and I knew what to do. And before I knew it, I was up out of the water. Um, When you're learning a new skill, having some pointers, some tips, a little crash course that you can keep in the back of your mind is really helpful because it helps you get through the learning curve until the skill becomes second nature. Um, You know, I bet when you guys were doing driver's ed, your parents said 10 and 2, hand over hand for the turns, you know, check your rear view mirror. My kids learned how to surf on Labor Day. Um, A friend of ours, Pat Brown, Said, hey, I want to teach the kids to surf. He's an avid surfer and he's like, I love teaching people to surf. So my kids went down to Little Compton and uh, it was a beautiful day and they got in the water. But before they did, Pat gave them pointers. He said, paddle like you mean it. You know, so when the wave comes, you really got to go nuts getting up to speed. Um, Pop up. So they practiced popping up on the board and then don't look down. You know, that's the thing you don't want to look down when you're surfing. Um, and it worked. So I have a picture of my son, um, Noah, there he is. He's, uh, he's 13, he, he's bigger than me now. Um, but uh, he, he got up and uh, it was awesome. So this is what I wanna say, friends. The church doesn't need to learn how to water ski. The church does not need to learn how to surf. Church doesn't even need to learn how to drive. Most of you know, and if you don't know how to drive, you can take an Uber. But there's one thing that the church in this season needs to learn to do, and that is to engage in spiritual warfare. Say what, Greg? Why do we have to do that? Um, a couple of reasons. First of all, by and large, during the last 50 years, um, our nation and the church in the West has been in a long state of spiritual decline. The church has in many ways forgotten how to pray, and how to engage in spiritual warfare. But the second reason is, and I believe this with all my heart, and this is why I, I left, I did college ministry for 20 years with Inner Varsity, um, and I left under a, a, a word from God that um, He is getting ready to bring renewal and revival, but that the church needs to get ready for it. And so I have, I have left, you know, I'm like Abraham, I'm going to this other vocational land that he's showing me, I've started a new new ministry called Revive New England. But the reason I'm doing it, and I'm not alone, is the sense that God's getting ready to move. All signs are pointing to it, but we we need to be ready to partner with God when he moves. Because when revival comes, it's not just a sociological change, it is a spiritual uh, upheaval, it's a spiritual battle. And so we need to be ready to engage spiritually. Now, for many of us, even though we've been a few weeks into this sermon series, spiritual warfare is not a term that many of us are comfortable with. Maybe it doesn't feel like something you're well-versed in. Maybe you don't even like the term. I don't particularly like the term warfare. Uh, maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable, but friends, it's sitting there in the scriptures. Paul wants us to engage with this um, And many of us, when it comes to spiritual warfare, are like me sitting in the water behind the boat. You know, I don't know, am I ready for this boat to start pulling? My kids waiting for the waves. And what we need and what Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter six are some pointers, some tips, a little quick crash course, a song from the back of the boat that Rebecca sang to me. Um, how How do we engage with this as a church? Because... The moment's coming when we're gonna have to. So that's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna give you the equivalent of lean back, bend your knees, keep the rope between your skis for spiritual warfare, a crash course on spiritual warfare for dummies. Hopefully that you can remember so that when the time comes, you know what to do. How does that sound, friends? Good, okay. All right, so I wanna give you four quick tips for spiritual warfare, crash course, uh, Spiritual warfare for dummies. First tip, get the right map. So the one thing about warfare is you can't fight a war without a map. Has anyone ever seen any war movie at all when they do the shot of the generals in their headquarters? What is always lying on the table? A giant what? A map. And and you can't, you can't, there's no way to fight a war without knowing where you are, where the enemy is, where things are on this map. Now, in spiritual warfare, we don't need a physical map, but what we do need is a mental map. And another word for a mental map is called a worldview. Now, everyone familiar with the term worldview? Um, we all have one. Everybody has a worldview, whether it's uh, something we're aware of or not. It's lying there. It is, a, it is the logic behind our awareness of the world. Now, my favorite theologian, N.T. Wright, um, uh, wrote a, a wonderful set of books, um, uh, the, or, the Christian Origins series. The first one, it's like this thick, so there's probably a popularized version, but I wanted to share one key insight from the New Testament of the people of God he says that there are four key worldview questions that every worldview answers. First, who are we? Where are we? What is wrong? And what's the solution? And every worldview, I don't care whether um, it's a a secular worldview, whether it's, um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll share a couple of options of different worldviews, but they all answer this question. So in Ephesians, Paul gives us his worldview map. Listen to what he says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand. Paul is giving us a worldview map. Who are we? We are the people of the one God who revealed himself to Israel and through Israel's Messiah to the whole world. We are part of the one family of God. We are at war, friends, and we are on, it's actually a rescue mission to bring blessing and healing, redemption to the whole world. Where are we? We are living in a war zone. We are living in a good creation that has been marred by and broken by sin. What is wrong, why are we in this war zone? Because the human race rejected God's leadership and rule and has subjected the creation to sin and decay. And the the world belongs to God, but there are occupying forces, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that have insinuated themselves into all the structures of human society. Um, What is the solution? The solution is Jesus. Jesus is our hero. God sent Jesus to become human, to redeem our human nature, to launch a rescue plan for the world. Jesus died on the cross. He defeated the rulers and authorities and powers and principalities on the cross. He is now seated above them, and he commissions us to go into the world and to enforce and claim his victory until the day comes when heaven comes to earth and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord. Now, that's Paul's worldview, right? We're we're at war. Um, Jesus has won a triumph and our job is to enforce it. The problem is that most of us aren't using this map. Most of us have different answers, whether we're aware of it or not, to these worldview questions. So what does that look like? Well, who are we? I'm a middle-class dad. Maybe I'm a plumber. Maybe I'm a Democrat. Maybe I'm a Republican. We, who is we? I'm an individual. I'm trying to pay the bills here. I'm trying to retire. I'm trying to save for college. Where are we? We're in America, the, the greatest nation on earth or the worst nation on earth, depending on your viewpoint. We're in a divided nation. We're in a time of high interest rates. We're living in the aftermath of a terrorist attack. We're in an age saturated, saturated with artificial intelligence. What do we do about it? What's wrong? Any number of things could be wrong. I don't have enough stuff. I have too much stuff. I don't have enough money. I have too much money. Probably you don't have that problem. Uh, I don't have enough sex. I need a vacation. I have too, little, too many things to do, not enough time. I can't get my kids to all the events they're supposed to go to. I need a new job, my parents are getting older, my kids are a chaotic wreck, my my marriage is struggling, my kids are struggling, our car is in the shop again, and my favorite, the Pats, are having the worst season in history. What's the solution? I have no idea, I just need to get through this week. Maybe the solution is I need to, you know, listen to Positive Encouraging K-Love a little more, I'm not sure, so do you see the point your, your worldview, your map uh, has a tremendous impact, unseen. Um, one of the primary things keeping us from engaging in spiritual warfare is that we don't realize where we are. We, we do not see reality. And this is why Paul is reminding us. He's giving us his worldview map. Any of you have ever seen uh, The Usual Suspects? It's a classic movie. Um, it's violent, it's bloody. You know, you may not wanna watch it, but I'll tell you the best line from the movie. Verbal Kent says this, he says, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And I think that's one of the things we fall into. We're like, oh, it's just the world, it's just a materialistic world. There's nothing happening here. There's nothing happening on the spiritual realms. There's no battle for the soul of the earth. You know, there's no cosmic battle that we're supposed to be part of. John Piper says, until we know that life is war, we'll have no idea what prayer is for. So the first tip is use the right map, okay? And this is part of my prayer for us is that as we're in this spiritual warfare series, one of the things God wants to do is to inform our worldview with the scriptures. We have to trust the word of God. This is what God says is happening. And so Lord, open our eyes to see it. Help us to, help us to see things the way you do. So that's the first tip. Right map, use the right map. Here's the second one. Um, follow the battle plan, okay? So we need a plan. If you're, if you're going into battle, you have to have a plan, okay? I don't care who you are. I don't care how good a soldier you are. You gotta have a plan, even if it's a hastily concocted plan. You know, you watch those movies of like the, the you know, the, the, you know, commandos or whatever, and they're gonna go take over the, you know, drug lord's compound. But even they, right beforehand, meet together to make a plan, right? That you have to have a plan. So we need to know what God's battle plan is for, for spiritual warfare. And here's what I wanna say. The plan is very simple. The plan is Jesus. Jesus is the plan. It's actually not our battle to fight. Jesus has already fought the battle and he's won it, okay? So Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and the authorities. The the Greek is the arche and exousios, um, or exousiae in the plural. But look what, happened. look what happened on the cross. Colossians 1.15, uh, Paul says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, the RK, and these very same powers and authorities he's talking about with spiritual warfare, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Somebody say triumph. triumph. Jesus has already triumphed over them. And I love the language too. In Colossians, he talks about disarming the powers. What's he telling us to do in Ephesians 6 to put on our what? Our armor. Jesus on the cross has taken the armor. He's taken the protection away from these evil powers and authorities that hold sway over the dark world. And he's giving us armor. Isn't that amazing? And, and then um, where is Jesus right now? In Ephesians 1, it says, I pray you may know... To, to 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above what? All rule and authority. These, These arche and exousios, these rulers and authorities, Jesus is seated above them in all authority. Does that make sense? So the battle plan, friends, is not for us to go out in our own strength and fight the bad guys. The battle plan is that Jesus already defeated them, and they know it. The cross is the victory of God over all sin, all evil, and all death. All we have to do is to clothe ourselves with the Lord and his mighty strength. By the way, In Ephesians one, it says, uh, I pray the eyes would be opened that you might know the power that's at work in you. It's the same as his mighty strength that raised Christ from the dead. Mighty strength, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. It's that same mighty strength, the same words in Greek that, that God used when he raised Christ from the dead. So our job is not to rely on our own strength. We rely on God's strength. It's not our own power, it's God's resurrection power. We don't defeat the enemy, the enemy's already defeated. All we have to do is hold the line. All we have to do is to stand. And Paul says it four times in this passage, stand, four times, stand, stand against, stand, stand. He says it. The Greek word is histami. This is where you get the word antihistamines, you know? Um, So it's an immune response. Your body, when a virus or a bacteria comes, It stands against. And that's that's what Paul's telling, like an army standing against an invader. But all we have to do is stand. We don't have to eject the the enemy from the nightclub. All we have to do is be the bouncers and look tough. We stand on Jesus, on his incarnation, on his death, his atonement, his resurrection, his victory, his ascension, his enthronement in glory, and he's seated above all the powers that we do battle against, and the enemy knows it. Um, By the way, I don't wanna freak anyone out, but since we are having a spiritual warfare sermon, I just wanna say that I'm not crazy, I'm a very smart person, and um, demons are real. They really do exist. Um, I'm not saying you should go looking for them, but they are all over the place. In other cultures, by the way, they manifest differently. In cultures that are open to spirituality, like if you've ever been to Sub-Saharan Africa or you know, sometimes Latin America, cultures that are comfortable talking about the supernatural, demons have a very different strategy there. They tend to wanna frighten people. But here, in our very modernist 21st century you know, scientific culture, um, demons tend to hide. They don't want to be noticed. They don't wanna make a scene. And that is, we don't particularly wanna think about them. Um, but by the way, if they do show up, and sometimes they do, um, all we have to do is speak the name of Jesus and stand in his victory. Demons hate the name of Jesus. They hate the blood of Jesus. They hate the Bible. They hate worship music. They hate to know that you know that you're a child of God. They don't like it, right? And they can intimidate or whatever, but if you, if you start to claim your identity in Jesus, the promises of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, they, they know they're screwed. So we, when we pray about spiritual principalities, broken, unjust systems, sickness, disease, demonic harassment, when we pray for healing, what we're doing is we are claiming the victory of Jesus. And we're just taking it and applying it to situations of brokenness in the world. So stand, all right, two tips so far. Get the right map, know the battle plan, okay? Third, third uh, tip is put the armor on. Turn to your neighbor and say, put the armor on. And tell him, you gotta put it all on, all the armor. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. He doesn't say, pick and choose. You know, maybe some of you can take a sword today and some of you can have a breastplate. He says, put it all on. He says, the the panoply, panoplia in Greek is all the armor, pan means all. So he wants it all on. Um, This is what I wanna say. And I know um, Pastor Van's gonna go in deep uh, detail on the different pieces of the armor and probably already has. The, The thing I wanna say is it's all important. Every piece of the armor. So when we're missing one piece, that becomes a vulnerability. Like we could stand all we want, but if we're not protected, then it's hard to stand. Does that, it's not, not like the enemy is just going to sit there and let us, you know, resist him. Uh, so we have to have all the armor on. So, for instance, let me give an example. If we're entertaining lies or we're believing lies about who we are, we're believing lies about our identity, we're believing lies, oh, God doesn't love me. We're believing lies, Uh, God can't do this or that. Um, We can get taken out of the fight. The enemy's looking for lies. If there's sin in our lives, if there's areas of unconfessed, unrepentant sin, um, that we can be taken out of the fight. We need God's righteousness to cover us. If we don't know the gospel, we're not ready to share it. If we're doubting God or his promises or his goodness, if we're not really sure that he loves us, if we don't know the word of God, any one of these can undermine your ability to stand your ground. Some of us this morning, maybe as you think about your life, maybe you're like, I know there's some missing pieces in my armor. There's some openings in my armor this morning. Maybe there is an area of sin or brokenness, some part of your life that needs um, you need to confess. Maybe some of us are struggling to trust God. Maybe there's something else. What do we do? What do we do? We realize I, I don't have all my armor on. And the answer is very easy. We just reach out, we take the armor, because God is offering it to us right now, and we put it on. We don't have to go looking for it. It's not hiding in some basement somewhere. It's Jesus is right here. He's got all the armor, and he can give it to you. You guys have appropriated it. Is there some area of sin in your life, friend, that's gonna keep you from fighting? The enemy's looking for vulnerabilities. All we have to do is confess it. We confess it, we bring it to the Lord, we repent, and whoosh, on goes the breastplate of righteousness. If there, is there some lie or area of unbelief in our life. All we have to do is renounce it. Whoosh, on goes the belt of truth. Up goes the shield of faith. The last part of the armor I wanna, I wanna share about is, um, is that part of the armor is one another. So if you look in the Greek at this passage, every single command is plural. You can't read it in the English, but when Paul is saying, put on the armor of God, he's saying, y'all, put on all y'all armor, right? Take up the shield of faith. It's all y'all take up the shield of faith. It's all y'all is the Greek. And so there's something about us fighting together. None of us were meant to fight a battle alone. Paul is, by the way, in jail, chained probably to a Roman guard. So he's looking at some dude's armor Hopefully hopefully the guy, you know, it's his danky cell. Hopefully the Roman soldier took a shower or whatever. I don't know what it was like for him. But Paul is aware, very aware of the armor, probably why he's writing this. But Paul also knows that Rome has conquered the Mediterranean world. And they didn't do it one soldier at a time. What they did was they fought together. And the Roman battalion in formation was the most frightening force you could ever imagine. I think I have a picture of it here. Um, Here they are. Who's gonna mess with that right there? Do you see that this is called the Testudo formation? And part of the armor is not just the individual pieces, but it's the entire unit operating together. And so one thing I wanna say is don't do spiritual warfare alone. Don't get out there and try to you know, fight a spiritual battle without each other. Look around the room. This is your unit. This is your battalion. And so we need to pray together. So put on the armor, okay? Final point. I'm almost landing this plane. Um, we can go see the Pats lose again. Um, there's one, <laughs> please, Lord, no. My son would be so sad. He's, he's such a Pats fan. It's a tough year to be 13 and uh, <laughs> care about them. Um, this is the last thing I wanna say is, um, the last thing we do is we need to pray. We need to pray. Um, I'll, just, I'll just read this to you. He says, um, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So that's five times in three verses Paul tells us to do what? So what do you think he wants us to do, friends? He wants us to pray. And um, I think it's really important in this moment of church history, the most important thing we can do, is to pray. It has to become our number one activity as the church. John John Wesley says this, God does nothing except by prayer. Um, As we were doing the baptism earlier too, we had in the first service, um, Wesley got baptized and I kept thinking about the other namesake of Wesley is John Wesley. Um, And, but this is a principle of any, any work of renewal. Anytime the church uh, takes ground, anytime the church grows, becomes vibrant, the thing that always precedes it is prayer. It's always prayer. Jesus um, on the Mount of Transfiguration comes down and you remember the demon had occupied this, this poor little boy and his dad says, if you can do something, help. And Jesus says, anything's possible. But the, dis- the other disciples couldn't drive out this demon. And, um, and they've been trying, they've been trying to drive it out and Jesus drives it out with a word. He says, you unclean spirit come out of him and, um, and the demon flees. And so the disciples go to Jesus, they say, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, of course, this kind comes out only by what? By prayer. So I, I think in this season, and this is my, part of my, my heart with Revive New England, the prayer muscles of the church have been atrophied and we need to grow them, we have to. The prayer meeting has to become the most important thing that happens in church, it does. You know, you know how popular the preacher is by who shows up on Sunday, but you know how popular Jesus is by who shows up on the, at the prayer meeting. But God can do more in a week than we can do in 100 years of our own effort but we have to pray. Sometimes I think that, you know, you look at so many churches, a prayer meeting doesn't exist, or if it does exist, it's poorly attended. And if it is attended, sometimes it's not all that it could be. It's boring, awkward silences, laundry lists. We're praying for Aunt Matilda's bum knee. Um, and so I think the one of the best things we can do is listen to what Paul says about prayer. So I always I wanna point out some of the ways Paul teaches us to pray. A couple tips on prayer. He says um, in verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this is the last part of the armor. You got the sword of the spirit. And the next thing he tells us to do is pray in the spirit on all occasions. And so I think one of the most important ways that we pray is we pray the scriptures, Right, You wanna know how to pray with power, how to pray on the authority of God, how to pray in a way that, um, that is effective and powerful, that we take the word of God. And you can read any passage in the Bible, You know, um, and you can ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, how do you want me to pray this scripture? How do you want me to activate it, appropriate it, use it in this situation? What promises do you want me to declare over this thing? Right now, I just share... Uh, my family, um, my brother has had uh, significant um, addiction issues in, in his life. And um, he had a, a child with another gal that's even worse off than he is and has major mental health issues. And um, it's a total catastrophe right now. And I think one of the things as I was prepping the sermon, I'm just convicted that my, my job is to pray. And to claim the promises of God over this little two-year-old girl that they've had, uh, Naomi. And if you think about it, pray for Naomi. Um, right now, um, you know, I won't go into my whole story, but it's a it's a it's a it's a disaster right now. And so I just I need to pray. I just need to claim the promises of God over this little two-year-old, wonderful girl, and. um and I think that's one of the things we need to do. Next thing he says here is pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So there's one thing where we're, we're just praying on our own, but it's another thing to pray in the Spirit, right? Last time I was here, actually, I preached on how to hear God's voice. And one of the most important things we can do in prayer is actually listen to the Holy Spirit. And so we may bring a topic or a focus or a scripture to prayer, but then the next thing we do is we say, Holy Spirit, would you teach us to pray? Would you show us how to pray about this? And we need to learn to listen to what is the Holy Spirit telling us to pray, right? Because God right now, the Holy Spirit's groaning in the Godhead, praying. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are interceding for us. Part of what we need to do is tap into that powerhouse and let the Holy Spirit guide our prayers. He, Paul says, um, Pray for all the Lord's people. So when we go to a prayer meeting, a lot of times the prayers can be focused on us, on me. And that's fine. That's where we have to start. We come in with our felt needs. But part of the invitation is to go through that and then to begin to pray out for all the Lord's people. Right? So sometimes God can put a situation in your life where you're, you're feeling the need for prayer and you begin to pray into it. My encouragement though is could you add, could you tack some other people on to your prayers for yourself? Maybe you're struggling with anxiety, depression. Maybe there's issues in your life you're struggling to believe God's promise. As you begin to pray, can you identify with other people in the church that need that and begin to extend those prayers over other folks? Finally, um, <clears throat> Paul says, uh, pray for me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And then, so this is this last part, Paul says to pray for the advance of the gospel, the advance of the kingdom. And where I wanna wrap up is is just to say, I think the Lord is calling us into a season of extraordinary kingdom-focused prayer. And I wanna, I wanna call us to it. I wanna call you guys to give yourselves to that kind of prayer. Um, one of my favorite theologians, um, a student of revival, and a guy by the name of James Burns, Scottish guy, I think he wrote this in 1906. Um, he's looking back through the history of times like ours when the church had been in a long season of decline And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to move. And the church was filled with power, life, vibrancy, healing, vitality, and and he's noticing what are the common denominators. And what he says is that before revival comes, the quality and quantity of prayer begins to increase in the church. And I just wanna read this to you, because I think every time I read it, I get chills. Every time I read it, I say, yeah, Lord, let this happen in our time. He says, within the church itself, also through all its days of defection, there have been many who have not bowed the knee to Baal, who have mourned its loss of spiritual power, who have never ceased to pray earnestly for a revival of its spiritual life. For long, their prayers seem to be unanswered. It appears as if God had forgotten to be gracious, Gradually, however, the numbers are found to increase. Prayer becomes more urgent and more confident. The condition of the church, its want of spiritual life, the weakness of its spiritual witness, the need of a fresh baptism of spiritual power becomes apparent. This need weighs more and more upon the hearts of the the devout. Longing for better things becomes an intense pain. Men begin to gather in companies to pray they cease not to cry out to God day and night, often with tears, beseeching him, and I love this language, beseeching him to visit with his divine power the souls of men, and to pour into the empty cisterns a mighty flood of divine life. In many different parts, quite unconnected with each other, the spirit of intercession, spirit of prayer awakes, and with it, an expectation that will not be denied, a premonition that there is at hand the dawn of better days. So I wanna just invite the worship team to come up as I close. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, just, I just say my heart is that um, I think God is getting ready to move. I really do. Um, I see it all over the place as I Travel around as I talk to, I talk to, I noticed several different clues of it. One is even just the openness among pastors to pray together and um, this lack of competition. People aren't comparing their churches like Burger King and McDonald's anymore. They're saying, oh, there's only one church and we're not in great shape and we need each other and we need the Lord. And there's this burning hunger and longing for God's Spirit to come and to freshly baptizes people. And um, I don't know, if some of you know Lauren McDonough. Does anyone remember Lauren? I don't know if you kept up with her, but she's out in Indiana. Like, you know, we're, we're all sad about it, but um, she's where she's supposed to be. But I think Lauren is seeing the, the, the beginning shocks of revival and renewal. She had half of a sorority show up at a Bible study the first week of, of school. The other day she was telling me she had 170 frat boys come to a different Bible study. And this is on one campus. And she told me that students are beginning to lead their friends to faith without any training, without any encouragement, without any coaching. They're just coming and telling her about it. It's not, this is not normal, you know? So we may not see it here yet, but I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a signal from God. I think the signal is it's time to get ready. Um, some of you are aware of what happened at Asbury College in Kentucky. Um, I've just been paying attention to it. You know, if you're not aware, there's a little town of 2,000 people um, and there was just an ordinary chapel service. Half the kids were not, were, you know, forced to go to this place by their parents. They're, they're looking on their cell phones. It's not like chapel is this very spiritual place. It was kind of a mediocre sermon, um, but six people stayed late. And the sense was the presence of the Lord was there and they couldn't leave. And they didn't leave for like three weeks. And people began, the students began coming in. All of a sudden people started coming from all over the world. There were 100,000 people that went to this tiny little town in Kentucky. They they broke the septic system. That's why they had to end the revival (laughs) because the septic system. But just think of it, the Christchurch septic system is much better than theirs, you know? Like if an East Greenwich could host a revival. Um, But I think think we have to pay attention to these little indicators. Um, And it's like that picture of surfing. Um, You know, when when you're surfing, your eyes are out on the water and you see something in the distance, it doesn't look very big, but eventually you realize, oh, it's a wave and it's coming. This wave is coming. And that's when you need the tips. You gotta know that you're watching for the wave and you have to, you know that in a minute you're gonna need to paddle like crazy. You have to pop up and don't look down. It's like, or like we're sitting in the water and we, like I think what's happening in the church is we're beginning to feel the boat moving, like it's kicked into gear and we feel the pull. And in a minute, there's gonna be a wall of water, it's gonna hit us. You know, we're gonna have to like, lean back, bend our knees, keep the rope between our skis. And so this is why I wanna, I wanna give you this, um, this, these four tips to spiritual warfare, cause, because you're gonna have to do it. We are, we're gonna have to engage, friends. There's, we're not gonna sit this out, okay? We're gonna do it, so say it after me. Right map, battle plan, armor on, pray and stand. Right map. Battle plan, armor on, pray and stand. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray for your activation of your people. We thank you that you have triumphed over all the powers of darkness. God, we thank you that you have not left this world alone, but you've given us your Holy Spirit. You've not left us as orphans. And Lord, when we call out to you, um, you answer our prayers. And so we have been crying out, Lord, for our world, for our city, for our region, for renewal, for revival. Lord, we know when it comes, it's going to involve spiritual warfare. And so I just pray blessing on every single person in this church to just be ready, to be ready and to even start now. And so I pray, Lord, would you give us the right map? Would you help us to see things as you do? Would you give us your battle plan? Teach us how to stand on the power of the cross. Lord, clothe us in the armor and teach us to pray. We pray this in Jesus' name.